Helen Ziller, it's so good to be talking with you at a very important part in the democracy's history here in South Africa. Just to to go back a little bit before we go into the uh, real meat and potatoes of the discussion, CADA deployment, what exactly is it? Well, CADA deployment should be the meat and potatoes of any discussion on the failing state in South Africa because it is the root cause of it. All the rest is symptoms. The root cause is this committee in the ANC called the Cater Deployment Committee. We now know what its composition is. Very senior members of the ANC, cabinet ministers and others, chaired by the deputy president, that nominates ANC cadres, loyal ANC cadres, on the basis of the first criteria that they are loyal to the ANC into very senior positions across the state. Stand-out entities, Chapter 9 institutions, the judiciary, right down into the organs of state, down to middle management level. And it is this horrific state of affairs that has resulted in the flight of skills, the difficulty in acquiring new skills across those various departments and entities that I've just spoken about, and leads directly to state capture. Because the people who are deployed by the ANC know that their loyalty to the ANC comes first. That is the basis on which they're going to keep their jobs. That is the basis on which they're going to advance in their jobs. And when they are told to make sure that certain ANC-connected people are preferred for posts, or when they are told to ensure the tenders and contracts reach specific people, they know that they have to keep the ANC happy to stay in their jobs because they are ANC employees and not appointed for their skills and competence to deliver services to South Africans as a whole. The party comes first. And so that is known as state capture. There is this mad idea that state capture has something to do with the Guptas capturing the procurement process of the state. No, it has something to do with the ANC capturing the state, which should be independent. There's a division between party and state, which has become completely obscured under the ANC. And the mechanism for obscuring that is the ANC's Cater Deployment Committee. And once the ANC has captured the state, All business people have to do is to capture the president of the ANC and they basically then also become central to state capture. So this is something that people need to understand. It is the meat and potatoes of the failing state in South Africa. And until SCADA deployment is declared unconstitutional, which we hope will emerge out of the third Zondo Commission, And until this evil practice is stopped, and until we have a meritocratic civil service, state failure is going to continue in South Africa. Now, a lot of this has been suspected uh, and, in fact, almost proven in certain areas. But there was dynamite in the Zondo Commission, helped along by one of your colleagues, Dr. Leon Schreiber, who went to great pains to get the minutes of the ANC's cadre deployment uh, committee 
uh, which uh, I think, as you've said on your Facebook page, Cyril Ramaphosa himself uh, chaired for five years while he was deputy president. Why was it so important to get hold of those minutes? Well, it is very important to get hold of the minutes of that meeting because then you can see exactly what they did, how far their reach was, what criteria they used, which institutions in the state they directly influenced appointments in, what jobs were reserved for ANC cadres, what onuses and obligations were put on ANC cadres, and the extent to which the party captured the state. And we didn't know that for sure. We obviously suspected it, and cadre deployment has been a thing since Nelson Mandela launched that policy in 1997 at the Mai King Congress of the ANC, and the DA has been exposing and opposing that policy ever since then and warning that it would lead to centralization, cronyism, cadre deployment, corruption, and the criminal state. I've been saying that since the late 1990s. That has all come to pass. And that has been the obvious outcome of the policy of cadre deployment. But if you want the proof, the nuts and bolts, you've got to know what decisions were taken, by whom, about what, and what it influenced. And that's why we've put such a lot of store in trying to get those minutes. Now, Leon Schreiber, who is our shadow minister of public administration, is like a dog with a bone. He won't let it go. And we first suggested that the Zondo Commission subpoena the minutes of the Cato Deployment Committee, which the Zondo Commission, Commission did. And then we used the Promotion of Access to Information Act. Well, Leon Schreiber drove that, but the DA backed him and ensured that we could use that act to get those minutes, which we now have through the Zondo Commission. And they're explosive, to say the least. They tell you why the state has failed in South Africa. But it goes a lot further. Uh, when you start talking about business, you can almost get a good sense that uh, those people who were running Eskom and Transnet and so on were put there by the ANC. But we are a constitutional democracy, so the real power in this country lies in the courts. And that, as you wrote again on your, your Facebook page, uh, is the thing that even surprised you, the degree of cater deployment that has occurred there. Well, I've suspected it for a very long time. In my previous role as Premier of the Western Cape, I was ex officio a member of the Judicial Service Commission. And because I have such a strong belief that politicians should not be on structures recommending judges for appointment, I always sent a top lawyer to represent me there because I was able to send a nominee and to show my principled objection to politicians serving on the JSC, I always sent a top lawyer to speak there on my behalf and to take decisions on the basis of the requirements of the crucial role of a judge and certainly not on any political criteria. And, but from the beginning, I've been suspecting, and the few times that I was there myself, I knew that the ANC had pre-caucused the outcome the ANC nominees constituted a majority on the Judicial Service Commission, and it was a foregone conclusion. And ever since, very cynically, I think it was about 10 or 12 years ago that the ANC manipulated a majority for itself on the Judicial Service Commission, I've said that is another extension 
of the CADA Deployment Committee. And these are people who are being put there because the ANC also wants to extend its tentacles into controlling the judiciary. And the minutes actually indicate how far that went. We've only got the minutes um, from 2018. So we've got only a small sliver of the minutes from the time that David Mabuza was the deputy president of the ANC and of the country. However, we are trying now to get the minutes from when Cyril Ramaphosa chaired the Cater Deployment Committee. And we have absolutely no doubt that it will reflect exactly the same thing because that practice is entrenched in the ANC and continues to be. And the point I keep making is state capture is not a Jacob Zuma thing. It is an ANC thing. It is alive and well under Cyril Ramaphosa today. And in fact, Cyril Ramaphosa in his role as deputy president was the key mover behind CADA deployment as chair of the CADA deployment committee in those crucial years when he was deputy president under Jacob Zuma. And it's those minutes that we need to get hold of. But from what you've said, the whole Judicial Service Committee was a sham. Pretty much. Um, We used to go there, go through the motions. I mean, like all employment or all selection processes under the ANC are a total sham. The Cater Deployment Committee has decided before we should get where. The instruction goes out and then they just basically go through the motions. It's a sham. And it's pitiful that this should be allowed to happen and that's why we're exposing it. We want merit-based appointments, not based on biological markers such as race, gender, and other identity criteria. We need to rebuild a broken state, and it's got to be on the basis of merit. It's got to be a meritocracy, and particularly the appointment of judges, given the pivotal role of the judiciary in our constitutional democracy. As you say, we don't have the sovereignty of parliament anymore. A majority in parliament can't decide what happens. What they decide has to conform with the constitution as adjudicated by the constitutional court. And the shocking thing about this latest round of minutes, and that's just a very short period of minutes, is that two of the constitutional court vacancies were filled by deployees nominated by the deployment committee. Now, you know, when they've captured the constitutional court, then we might as well go back to the sovereignty of the majority party in parliament because the sovereignty of the constitution will mean sweet Fanny Adams at that point. Those people have been identified. Clearly in the minutes there will be others who have been identified. What happens next? Can you apply for them to be to step down? Well, we've been taking legal advice on this, and believe me, you've just seen the start. We've got a whole lot more to do. The very best starting point, according to our legal advice, is with the state-owned entities and the extent to which they were totally captured by the ANC for purposes of corruption and for purposes of enriching their networks and for turning the ANC into a criminal syndicate or an interlocking network of criminal syndicates. And there we have the really clear proof of what was going on and the dishing out of posts and the reservation of positions and the parceling out of which positions could be filled by the minister and which could be filled by the Cater Deployment Committee 
And you even have the remarkable spectacle in those minutes of President Ramaphosa having to apologize to the deployment committee because he appointed people to a board, which he's entitled to do without going through the deployment committee and getting their go-ahead to do so. This is the extent to which this deployment committee actually runs South Africa behind the scenes. It's the shady committee that works behind the scenes like a kind of executive of the Bruderbond who deploys cadres into every single key vacant position in the state and determines who shall be where. And that's going to destroy South Africa, completely destroy South Africa. And if they have done that in the judiciary, well, as you say, the adjudication of the Constitution will be done by judges who owe their primary loyalty to the ANC first and the Constitution second. You've never been a shrinking violet, but I haven't heard you speak so forcefully as you've just done about criminal syndicates, etc., is this, then you weren't uh, listening, Alex. <laughs> not closely enough, obviously. But it, it, you did what you've seen in the minutes and what you've seen from Zonda. Uh, you also said that this surprised even you. Yes, it did surprise even me. I mean, it is so unbelievably cynical and the reach and the extent of it. I mean, I'm just looking at the notes here from Leon Schreiber. Over the past three years, these minutes show Deployment happened in 88 state entities involving 29 ministers and deputy ministers. It interfered in the courts, the SOEs, Chapter 9 institutions, government departments across the board, and extended really deep into every department as far as deputy director general level. And here, I mean, it's just extraordinary how, how this continues. And it makes basically the state become an instrument of the ANC. And it shows complete, complete failure to understand that the essence of a democracy is the limitation of power, not the exercise of brute control of the state through the abuse of power. The ANC has never understood that. And it is also clear from those minutes that the ANC has never understood what kind of transition we had in 1994. In 1994, we moved away from the sovereignty of parliament to the sovereignty of the constitution under the adjudication of a constitutional court. That was the big transition that happened in South Africa. Not that the ANC won an election and then could do what it liked, like the National Party could do before it. The sovereignty of the majority in Parliament ended in 1994, and certainly with the adoption of the 1996 Constitution. And today, all over the place, you see presentations being made to the ANC saying, it can't be possible that we who have a majority in parliament can be told by the courts what to do because they do not understand the difference between parliamentary sovereignty and constitutional sovereignty. And today, 25 years later, they still don't get it. But when they start to get it, the conclusion is we have to control the courts. And this is what these minutes have exposed. The concern that many are uh, voicing now is that with the ANC going below 50% in the last election, and we did have a conversation immediately after the local elections where you pointed out, and it, it came to pass, that none of the opposition parties wanted to ally in any way with the ANC. If that trend continues, then come 2024, we might have a very different situation in South Africa. 
And the concern is that the ANC will not let that happen. Well, it's highly likely that the ANC will fall below 50% nationally in the next election, and then we're in an entirely new ballgame, an entirely new ballgame. Now, obviously, coalitions are very difficult things, very, very difficult. And unless you have a powerful and strong and stable anchor tenant like the DA, it floats all over the place. And we've had the enormous challenge. I've spent most of the last six to seven weeks in the negotiation process with other parties to establish coalitions in 22 municipalities across South Africa, across, I think, seven provinces in South Africa, which is huge for the opposition. Our reach extends now far beyond the Western Cape, including the major metros except Etiquini or Durban. And with a very narrow margin, also except Nelson Mandela Bay, but that could change any day now. So the DA, along with other parties in coalitions together, are governing 50% of South Africa's economy at least, at least. And that trend will continue, but it's, of course, incredibly dependent on the way we run these coalitions. Now, for the first time, we have a very important coalition agreement which dots the I's and crosses the T's and says what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And we drew that up based on my experience of running a coalition and on our governance unit's inputs and then with lawyers who helped panel beat that into a good coalition agreement shape. We then took that into coalition negotiations with the other opposition parties across the country. In some places, we have as much as 10 parties, as many as 10 parties in a coalition, which makes it incredibly difficult to manage. So the next five years at local government level, the big asset test will be how are those coalitions managed. Now, South Africans mustn't be under any illusions. It's not like coalitions in Europe where there is a tiny ideological difference between the various parties in the coalition. The basics are all settled and they all agree on those basics. They agree on the rule of law. They agree on the supremacy of the constitution. They agree on a market-based economy with social safety nets for the poor. They agree on a range of things which coalition partners in South Africa that replace the ANC do not necessarily agree on. So coalition management in South Africa is a hugely complex and difficult task. But that is what the voters chose, even though you all know that the DA told them what the consequences might be. But we have to respect the choice of the voters, which we do. And we will do our darndest and our utmost with our coalition partners to make these coalitions work successfully. In some places, we are in minority coalitions. Now, that means that even when all the opposition parties come together, we can't get 50% plus one of the seats in that council. But nor can the ANC, because let's say the EFF holds the balance of power and isn't going with either side, for example. Then we run a minority coalition which is incredibly vulnerable and incredibly unstable and lives from meeting to meeting of the council. That is not ideal, 
We are working very hard to turn the city of Johannesburg into a majority coalition, which would involve a 10-party coalition, but stabilize that and see if we can go the full term. The city of Chwani is currently a majority coalition. Mukhali City is a very interesting, stable coalition, but we don't have a majority there yet, so it is a minority coalition. Of course, in Cape Town, we won an outright majority, which was fantastic. And of course, that makes it very easy for us to apply our policies and to go forward. So South Africa is in a very complex transition phase. We are in the era of coalitions. And our big challenge now, in order to beat the ANC nationally, is to make coalitions work at local level, give it everything we've got, and then take on the ANC in 2024. Is that the strategy for the next two and a half or less than two and a half years now until the next national election? Well, yes. I mean, I'm not revealing any state secrets here or any DA secrets here or any coalition secrets here. That is obvious to any political observer in South Africa. The ANC fell under 50% for the very first time nationally in these local government elections. I don't think they can regroup and recover. On the contrary, the tension is going to get bigger and bigger and the splits deeper and deeper. If anybody saw what Lindiwe Susulu recently wrote in her attack on the Constitution and the Constitutional Court, you will see that she was once the compromise candidate between Jacob Zuma and Saul Ramaphosa. She's now clearly located in the RET faction of the ANC, judging by the article that she wrote. And the tensions are just going to get bigger and bigger in the ANC. So, of course, our job is to establish stable coalition that that can go the distance. And no one understands how hard that is. I had a seven-party coalition to run in Cape Town. It is incredibly difficult, even in the best of circumstances. And so we will try and we will put every ounce of effort into it. But voters must realize that they get the governments they vote for. We will do our best with the consequences. We accept the voters' choice. But instability can be a consequence of that choice. I had a fascinating interview earlier this week uh, with Chris Pappas, the mayor of one of your majority councils, the first one you won in KwaZulu-Natal. And the feedback we've had already uh, on that interview has been incredibly supportive. And he's one of a number of these young guns that or young lions that you've developed in the DA is that the strategy to get to get a lot of energy in there, get uh, get into local government? You think of of this young man, uh, Chris Pappas, who presumably would have much bigger fish to fry in the provincial government, etc. And yet he's gone back to his home town and he's trying to make a difference at that level. Is that what you're engendering, or, or perhaps you can just give us some more insight into the thinking? Well, the DA wants to attract young talent from across the board in South Africa. And Chris Pappas is a great talent. There's no question about it. And we are delighted that young people who are so full of energy, vision, excitement, and of course he's completely fluent at speaking Zulu, unlike me with my learned at great cost, Tosa, which is still very rudimentary compared to his absolutely fluent Zulu, his relationship with the local community, his um, persona, Obviously, those are the people that we're trying to attract. You know, we have Jordan Hill Lewis, the youngest ever mayor of the city of Cape Town. And so these are young talents that have been in the party for a long time. 
And we have learned not to parachute people in. We have learned that people must grow through the ranks of the party and prove themselves as they do so. And here are two very clear examples of people who've done so. And we've given them a chance in the case of these two, not because they're white males, perhaps despite the fact that they're white males, but it's because the DA looks for talent and doesn't look for identity markers. We've learned that very hard lesson as well. We're going to put people who are really outstanding into key positions, and we're going to show the DA difference. We obviously want to be diverse. We want people of all backgrounds, all races, all cultures, to be able to work together for a single set of values in which we defend each other's rights and each other's cultural values and cultural rights. We want to all work on that project together in a party that defends constitutionalism and the rule of law and a market-based economy with social safety nets for the poor and non-racialism, which is unbelievably threatened at the moment. There's this notion of anti-racism, which is not non-racialism. In fact, it is the opposite of non-racialism. And so it falls to the DA to protect these absolutely cardinal values without which South Africa will fail. And we're looking for people across the board, but especially the youngsters, who are passionately committed to their future in South Africa and to defending these values, to become part of our organization, to grow with it, not to seek to leapfrog right to the top for any reason other than their incredible talent and ability, and then to give them all the opportunities that we can, support them very much where we can, and let them shine. And that is what Chris Papas is doing. In the book, in your most recent book that you wrote, uh, you, you had quite a um, depressing feeling about where we were as a country. Has it lightened? Has your mood lightened since the local elections and now looking forward to the potential of a change in government in South Africa in 2024? Well, I'm in for the very long haul. You know, um, my first book was called My Autobiography when I thought I was going to retire was called Not Without a Fight, and I absolutely mean that. And politics is only for people who can stay the long haul. It's not for people who get bored quickly, and it's not for people who are sensitive and get easily slighted and start sulking. If you're going to do that, you must choose another profession or another job. And so I've always been an optimist about South Africa. I think there is too much that we have in this country to allow it to fail, and I think enough people realize that. A lot of people have been fooled for a lot of the time. We've taken a lot of flack from the legacy media and from business about our very tough stance. As you say, I'm a tough talker, and a lot of people don't like that. But I'm quite happy that in the future, when people look back, they might see that some of the most controversial things that I've said that were controversial in the time and place that I said them needed to be said were truthful and that the debates that were unleashed by them were critical to getting South Africa on the right course. Now, I'm not the only one. I just happen to be one of the people that catches the most flack. I mean, many other people can say exactly the same thing, and they'll get by without any kind of whisper. If I say it, all hell breaks loose, which is fine by me. I take it as a kind of compliment, actually. But I'm not going to keep quiet because everybody gets upset with what I'm saying. And people say, no, I mustn't say it in this way, and I mustn't raise this, and I mustn't do that. I'm a straight talker. That's who I am. 
That is what I believe South Africa needs, and that is what they'll get from the DA. But has your mood lightened? Yeah, I think it has. You know, we have even got now more governments than we had in 2016, which was supposed to be our fantastic, spectacular breakthrough election. We have 12 outright governments with outright majorities and 22 coalitions. I'm now with some very, very good partners in other parties in a joint committee that is responsible for managing those coalitions. We sat at until very, very late last night strategizing how we would manage the voting for the committee chairs in Johannesburg today to make sure that the coalition would win. And it, it's a job that really excites me. It challenges me. And when I've got a lot of very big challenges to face and to surmount, that's when I'm at my happiest and my most optimistic.